For this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town, we take a little different direction. I've been asked if I personally know of anyone who has COVID-19. The answer is yes, yes I do, my son, Andrew Bradigan. A former Nordoff High School student, Andy is a sales manager with food delivery service Postmates at their Nashville office, a building in which more than 600 people work, many of whom have come down with the disease. While I knew Andy had a probable case, I didn't know how severely it affected him. Here's Andrew Bradigan to tell us all about it. Hey, Andy. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. So, yeah, describe to us uh, what it was like with your uh, suspected case of COVID-19. Like, how, how did it manifest and did you know right away? Like, how, how did it tell us? Well, working in sort of like a sales office environment, I'm always around people who, you know, come in to work sick and you catch little little cold symptoms here and there just on a month-to-month basis. Now, there's like 600 people in your office. Is that what I understand? Yeah, there's over 600 people between a few floors and some satellite offices. So there's only three doors uh, to get in or out. So everybody's touching the same handles. Um, yeah. Initially, it was just sort of like... Um, Traditional flu-like symptoms. Just yeah. What time? Aches. What time? What's the time frame here? Um, so it was it, that was late February, a uh, middle February. So it was a couple weeks, and um, nobody really knew what was going on then. It was just sort of denting our awareness that this this uh, COVID nineteen was out. We didn't really know how bad it was going to get. Uh, that it, it was, was still back when everybody assumed that it couldn't get you know, to you and, you know, sitting in a sales office in Nashville, Tennessee, one wouldn't assume that, um, you know, the coronavirus would find its way in there, but, it, it was, it was more of a reactionary approach versus a precautionary. So kind of waited a little bit too long, um, to sort of get everybody out of the office. So by the time we did, a couple of people had contracted it and had confirmed cases. Uh, that was back when I, um, intended to get tested, but, it was extremely difficult, if not impossible. Yeah, that was one of the biggest problems, I, I feel like, in our response was the inadequate testing, that we weren't able to ramp it up in a way that we could actually get a handle on how, how bad it was. So I had to call into this, this uh, health line here in Nashville. Um, they started asking a bunch of questions, and the, initially, I guess they were screening you for any, um, any, anything in your past medical history that, you know, could potentially make it a lot worse and they brought up they brought up asthma and they asked me if i had asthma and i you know in this exact second i don't but after i said no i realized i had had it when i was younger and then based on my answers to the questions they said it um i was not at high risk uh even if i did get sick so they just shooed me away right there i wanted to be like wait hold on a second that's not what i meant um but it was kind of too late so i just let it ride out um Waking up in hot, uh, hot sweats and sweating through my sheets for uh, several days. Um, the, honestly, the worst part was even after I had uh, physically recovered from it. So I started to feel a lot better to yeah, begin with. Within like what, three, four days, you started feeling a little better. How, how long was the. That, uh, a couple of weeks. A couple, couple weeks. weeks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. With um, sweats and. and- Fever yeah. and aches. Fever. And what about the aches, respiratory headaches, part? So that didn't necessarily manifest until after I thought I had sort of kicked it. 
Um, because from what I understand, uh, it's, it sort of stays around in, in your lungs and it may or may not, uh, give you some potential heart damage, um, in terms of muscle. So Mike, I, I had intended to start getting back into a workout regimen after it. Um, uh, but for about three or four weeks, I, my endurance was about 20% of what it was prior to getting sick. I couldn't, I couldn't complete any sort of normal set of anything without having to sit down um, only after a couple minutes. Because of like, wheezing I, and gasping? Wheezing and gasping. I couldn't catch my breath for the life of me. I was, I was steadily breathing heavily uh, for a oh, couple man. minutes. Was, that, getting, was that scary? Did you know that you had it? Like, well, how bad is it going to get? Well, um, it wasn't necessarily scary for me, but I could absolutely understand how it would be scary for, you know, somebody else who was a smoker, who was 60 or 70 years old or had some preconsisting condition. Like your old man? Yeah, it's it, just like you. You're the, you're the epitome of health of people who <laughs> no. avoid, uh, avoid coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I could see how, I, I could absolutely see how somebody would be terrified because if I felt that way and I take my health very and seriously. And you're 29 years old and you're... 29 years old, exercise five, six days a week, yeah. eat eat extremely healthy day in and day out. And if, I, if I was struggling... You're a big boy, right? Out. You're what, 6'5"? Six, 6'5", five. Six, five, 215 pounds. Yeah, that's... Workout uh, constantly. Um, I remember taking a stroll around just a single block of downtown Nashville. I was out of breath. I had to go home. It was, it was pretty bad. And the other thing is, I didn't know if it was going to get better or when it was going to get better. So I was just kind of nervous going day by day. And it was kind of demoralizing at the same time because you're like, I've yeah. kicked this, but I can't do my day-to-day activities. Um, but it, it's, I'm better now. So, I mean, it took, it took at least six or eight weeks before I... Six um, or eight weeks to get out the other side. Yep. I mean, not wow. with all of the symptoms, but, you know, not feeling like I couldn't do my regular activities without feeling so you've work. had colds before did this feel at all like like previous uh, uh, uh respiratory synctial viruses or other coronaviruses um it was different uh i would compare it to like a combination of the flu and an upper respiratory infection minus there was no like uh crud of mucus in your lungs but it was a horse cough um, that wouldn't go yeah. away. And it was never. It was never like an overwhelming cough or a raw cough, but it was just kind of. It was just kind of there and annoying. Um, it was just more mild than the flu, but the same sort of dragging upper respiratory infection uh, symptoms for a, for a while. Yeah, that sounds frightening because you are uh, vigorous, good health, and that you suffered for almost two months. Really, so yeah. give people pause. Now, how do, how does your work situation change? I mean, after the confirmed case at your workplace, which is before the sort of nationwide uh, quarantine, stay at home order, your work sent you home. You work for Postmates, food delivery service, signing up restaurants. Um, how did that? Because it changed so dramatically for restaurants and yet what you do the service you provide is even more critical for them than it was in the past so what was the transition from how your say your normal day would go back in february to how your 
post uh, lockdown day would go while while you're working? Yeah, uh, I mean, initially the move out of the office was was abrupt, uh, but they handled it extremely well. They were prepared ahead of time just in case we did have to move out of the office. Um, and then getting home, getting the equipment home was sort of a, a, a struggle because, you know, everybody has their own schedules and, you know, some people had to rearrange their living situations. And yeah, like if they that. have roommates or... Yeah, so all of a sudden... So it was March, uh, it was March 11th was the day that I had, I apologize. It was March 12th. Um, we had left, uh, we were talking about potentially having to work from home and everybody said, you know, it's not going to happen until X, Y, Z things get confirmed. And we went home and they were like, all right, after today we work from home. Luckily I had a laptop that I worked on. Everybody else has uh, iMacs. So they had to go and pick up, set up an entire desktop system at home. Um, but really the, a lot of places, you know, they either got too scared um, to try to fight staying open. They closed immediately. Or, um, you know, some places just went all in on on-demand food delivery, which we saw that in, in March. March was absolutely the craziest month um, that anyone has had at, at Postmates. Um, and then April... As far as demand. Decline. Demand, um, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of places, they... They went and they uh, ceased all in-house foot traffic, and then uh, zero, zero. Nobody can come in and eat in most restaurants at that time, um, and most of them didn't even allow you to go into the store at all, even to pick up carryout orders. So they'd have you wait outside. Um, so the, a lot of places are extremely dependent on take takeout and carryout orders, and then you also at the same time, a lot of the business owners that I'm, I'm talking to. Uh, they have to sort of handle the load themselves. And they know that, you know, it's difficult for them. And it was, I mean, there was a lot going on in general, but having to decide between keeping the lights on and, and keeping your employees employed yeah. um, was, was a really big decision. So a lot, some people I was talking to, you know, they were like, oh yeah, well, we just had to let go of our entire staff. It's just me and a chef and, you know, one other person just doing to-go orders all day long. And then some, I was talking to some business owners in Washington, D.C., and then a couple of them, you know, actually sent their employees home, but they were still employed and all the money they were making from the to-go orders, they were funneling back to their staff to make sure that they, they, that they would that be they, able to they had a place get them to go back, back. Yeah, that they'd be able to hire yeah, them back. It, yeah. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I've seen is how... How, how these businesses, you know, how you treat your employees is important. So it was nice to see that there are still some, you know, good restaurant owners out there, but um, yeah. So what uh, is the uh, end date for working from home? Do you have any idea when you'll get back into the office and what that might look like? Probably sometime between Q1 2021 and, and Q3 2025. We'll really? Just oh, some time just, over. They, Next five years. Are you well, busting we, my we, chops? Uh, Is that what you're doing? Okay. Busting your chops. They, this, we have a target date for, so we actually, the office we were in, the lease ended in July anyways. And then we have a new office we're building out um, over across from the Titans practice field uh, over in North Nashville. So they just kind of, I guess we technically could have started um, working from home a little bit sooner, but it just kind of lined up to have everybody stay at home until the new office is done. And also, one so our home office is based in San Francisco. So whatever, whatever um, uh, 
you know, regulations are being deployed out there. We're mimicking them here, no matter what's going on in Nashville. So if Nashville was 100% reopened, but San Francisco um, still had all of their employees working from home, we would still be working from home. Okay, so. that's the corporate uh, shot callers. Yeah. yeah. So they're just basically they're mimicking uh, whatever the most conservative action is in any state. So, so that, that even if California some sense of security, do you feel like? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me personally, I do. I do appreciate an office environment, probably more so than some people do, just because I enjoy the camaraderie and the high energy of a sales office and seeing your friends and um, the unlimited free coffee is also nice. <laughs> but yeah, so um, what was I going to ask you? Um, you uh, take pride in fitness. Yeah, I know that you studied exercise science for a while in college. What uh, was that like getting, because I'll tell you straight up, son, I've gained like, I don't know, 10, 12 pounds. I'm afraid to get on the scale. The only thing that's different, really, I feel like I'm getting out there on my bike. I'm getting sunshine. I know how critical that is. I'm getting, uh, you know, movement, uh, but I haven't been lifting weights. Gym's been closed. And I feel just that one thing has made a difference. And when as I get get uh, put on a few pounds, I still feel like I'm, I'm pretty strong. You know, I can do 25 push-ups, you know. But um, I get a little wheezy. I can feel this sort of low-level asthma, especially when I first start out hiking and and uh, then I blow through it, something kicks in, maybe some adrenaline or something, and then the uh, alveoli and the lung tissue relaxes, and I can breathe more freely. But, man, it's a little worrisome. It didn't seem like it would take much to uh, take me down. I mean, I, just to be completely transparent, when all of a sudden you have all of your normal fitness equipment stripped from you. You're no longer uh, going out and about and you, all of a sudden you're stuck at home. I put on about 10 pounds a month of March and then spent another six or eight weeks battling that back off. So now I'm um, basically where I was before plus in a couple extra pounds of muscle on top of it. But that was not fun to realize how quickly things can go from bad to worse in terms of your body if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I, I feel like this message hasn't been getting out there that your general level of fitness and your um, exercise and getting the vitamin D from sunlight or supplementation, this boosting your immune system hasn't been really part of the national conversation. You hear people talking about it here and there, but it just feels like if you were to craft a message that that would be a key part of it. Listen, people, you got to take care of your health. It isn't just about washing your hands and wearing face masks, all important stuff. It also has to be about uh, boosting your fitness. Yeah. Get outside and, and modify your diet to, reflect the, the new normal of not being able to go out as often and being stuck at home and having more free time to eat, which is the biggest problem, honestly. Yeah, I've done a lot of cooking. I love to cook. Uh, I love to eat. And those those two things, there's direct correlation between that and uh, not getting enough activity. 
Yeah. So we're all in it together. I feel like this is, uh, yeah. you know, a unifying experience in a way. Everybody, you know, years from now, we'll look back on this like the, the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. I mean, even when I, um, so I, my home workouts were pretty, pretty lame just because it's number one, it's difficult to push yourself the same way as if you're in a weight room. Number two, the equipment's not the same. And number three, just trying to stay motivated when, you know, you live, work, eat, breathe, you know, uh, work out in the same space as, as you've been in every single day. It's just, yeah. it gets to you. And then it's uh, demotivating. The Yes, absolutely. So only about six weeks ago did I hear a rumor that Gold's Gym locations outside of Nashville were beginning to open. So I looked into it. Um, I saw that there was one in Hendersonville, which is about 25 minutes away from me. Immediately jumped on it and they had just opened up and it was $0 to start and they had an option for $7 a month um, to go to the gym there. So that was a no-brainer. Um, then started making a 50-minute round-trip drive every time I wanted to go to the gym. So I was that desperate. But when I was there, so I had you know come out of essentially um, hiding, going to yeah. the gym. Had it ha- had it lifted real weights, and um, you know you start feeling bad about yourself. You're like, okay, well now I have to work twice as hard to get everything back um, in terms of strength and you know um, body composition and things like that. But then you look around and you're like, wait, everybody's in the same exact boat as me. Everybody is struggling to get, you know, the numbers back to where they want them to be. So it makes you not feel as bad when you look around going, oh, okay, well, everybody's doing the same exact thing that I am. They're just trying to get everything back in order. So, Yeah. And speaking about getting outdoors and stuff, you've uh, showed me some of your fishing photos. Um, tell me about that. Now, you weren't allowed to get out onto is this national forest the where you were fishing uh edgar evans state park is where um center hill Lake state park uh, yeah yeah so tell me about that outing because um i don't uh you probably don't remember but you started fishing when you were about 18 months old in fact you insisted when you were that age and two, three, four, five, that people call you fishing boy and you are a serious fisherman. And some things never change. That's, that's I demand great. to be called. That's I take a lot of pride in that because my dad taught me to fish. I taught my son to fish. You'll teach your kids to fish. Uh, that's how it goes as a brat again. We fish. Yes. Yeah. So center Hill Lake um, is about an hour East of Nashville super nice drive it's just down i-40 farmland it's it's absolutely beautiful just driving out there in general if all you did was just drive out that way it'd still be a good day um so center hill lake's got a dam underneath the dam um the spillway goes into the caney fork which they stock with trout but they stock with rainbows but they also have browns and speckled trout in there so native native Uh, populations yeah, and they're not they, native to the wild. They don't. They're they're self propagating. They they exactly because I doubt. And then they were in that that they were actually. When you say speckled trout, I think brook trout. Yeah, they have brook trout. Yeah, and that's uh, probably not native to the stream. But once they're in there, the populations establish. And they may have planted them in there. Yeah, you know, decades, decades ago. Or yeah. Um, so, and they're well fed too, cause the dam is generating quite often. So it's pushing out nutrients from the lake right into the river mouth there. A lot of insects, a lot of, 
Oh yeah, aquatic life. Well, there's trout jumping in the water. I mean, you can go fly. It's some of the best fly fishing in the southeastern region of the United States of America, just based on um, the accessibility, um, how beautiful it is. The trout are just. I mean, the first trip I did was a nine mile kayak down there. It's super easy. Um, there's a lot of rental places. If you're gonna, if you don't want to get your own kayak, they'll provide a transport to and from pickup, um, drop you up at the dam. Um, float literally down. just kicking, that sounds kicking the water, start floating, especially down. after you've been cooped uh, up during the quarantine. Oh, was yeah. it crowded? It's, was there know, a lot of people just hungry to get out? Depending on what time of day you go, it could be pretty crowded. Um, but the best part was, was so we <clears throat> the couple times I went, I had my buddy bring some stereo equipment if we want to listen to some music, we could. But once you get out there and you and you hear. <laughs> You hear how quiet it is. You don't want yeah. any noise on it or nothing. So there were some people coming down blasting Luke Bryan. I just kind of looked over it. I'm like, yeah, we just came from Nashville. We don't want to hear that. Uh, hey, wait a minute. I like off for a minute. Bryan. I'm not a big country music fan, but I, I like him. He's got you know that that uh, pickup truck uh, tailgate party out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> with a pony keg and a solo cups I didn't, and all your friends we didn't like drive that. an hour away from nashville to, to listen, listen to luke <laughs> bryan in the middle of water but you would drive an hour to listen to what radiohead we or? drove an hour to get we drove an hour to get away from luke <laughs> bryan yeah but let's not pick on luke bryan i i you know i have a i, was, I have a soft spot for him but um, so, so yeah going down it's super easy you just go with the current up by the dam is was really the spot to be in but that water fishing was Oh yeah, because the water's highly the oxygenated, and that's like where they first. Oh yeah, get in, and that's where you're going to catch your your big browns. Is that right? The big brown trout. I, I have the only browns I've hooked are pretty small, but they get they get enormous in there. And then um, the last time we were out, the first cast right by the dam. My first cast, I couldn't even set the drag quick enough, so I threw it out. Realized the drag wasn't set tight enough. As I'm setting the drag, my line just starts getting ripped out. Uh, pulled in a 22-inch rainbow trout within the first, like, five minutes. Of being oh, on the man. You must have thought, that's, that's this going to be a day. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, I I had a couple people with me, so I spent a lot of time, you know, re-rigging them up and making oh, sure they, they weren't uh, on right. Because you're the, the guy that fishes, yeah. and you're having to guide them as well. Um, but after you so caught a 22-incher, then you're probably fine. Like, okay, now. You want everyone I to get good. into the fun. Got it out of the way. Yeah. Um, so I had set my buddy's drag the same as mine after I had gotten out of that fight because I didn't want him having any issues. And then about a mile and a half or two down the water, he hooked something. And then he was reeling it in, but then he started getting issue with the drag getting ripped out These as well. These are spinning, spinning rigs, spinning rods. Yeah. Yeah, short little dock runners because the kayaks are kind of cramped and you didn't want to. Yeah, you don't want to have some big old uh, 11 foot rod. Or the- if you're fishing from the shore, yeah, but if you're in the middle of the water, you don't need it. Um, so he was battling that fish and I kept telling him to, to tighten the drag and he did, kept tightening the drag, tighten the drag. And then the things just started running with his line and snapped it completely off. And I'm like, what is, what must that have been if I. You know, a 22-inch rainbow gave me a fight that I eventually, you know, had to pull it in. It was barely hooked. He had something just snap the line completely off with a hook as like well. Some big uh, six, seven-pound bomb of a fish out there. 
they just sit. I mean, they they just they just sit out in that cold, deep water with. They don't get bothered all too much because a lot of people going down the river just flow right just floating over. and drinking. Yeah, yeah. So the the few people who are fishing have you know it's like a a, a platter of of trout just waiting for you underneath there. Wow, that sounds fun. I'm gonna I'm you gonna can have even to get pull out over. There. We're gonna have to do this. You can eat. There's even little spots uh, by the river you can pull up. Um, get one of those little portable grills with some charcoal, yeah, uh, uh, briquettes, and just fillet your trout right there and have a short lunch. Ten minutes after you catch yeah. it. Yeah, nice. Is it? Uh, what's the catch uh, law, laws there? It's not. I'm imagining it's not uh, catch and release, which I'm generally in favor of. Um, so well, it's probably what two a day over twelve inches or something. Trout, the trout in the caney, um, it's unlimited. You can keep any size, but I wouldn't keep, I mean, I wouldn't unless I, the only reason I kept that 22 inch rainbow trout, cause the thing was pretty big, but, um, <clears throat> normally I would just, I would just pop back in. Yeah. There. I mean, if there's, there's camping, there's lots and lots of camping around Edgar Evans state park, which is gorgeous. So like I could see if you were camping, you're like, Hey, let's go, you know, let's go down the caney and catch half a dozen trout for the boys and we'll fly them up when we get back. That's, that's something that's fun, but not just keeping them, just to keep them. I know. I, I hear people, a lot of my friends are like, what's the point of fishing if you just let them go? Isn't that the, the whole point? Is the, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, ever since I was just a kid. every fish you catch. Ever, just kill everyone. No, I, I just was like, I don't want to have to deal with this. All the cleaning, the fun is in the catching, not the keeping. You know? Um, if I could tell you how many times I've found a stray scale from scaling a fish that was just on me somewhere, like two or three days later, yeah. I mean, it's just not, it's just not. That's idea. one of the reasons I love trout. You don't have to bother scaling them. They yeah. got a few scales down off their tail, but they're pretty much skin. That's not scales. It's not like a you crappie can just or gut them and just gut them and throw them on the grill just as is. Yeah. And they got that little pocket of meat behind their cheek. It's all good. Yep. Yeah. So, um, what else did we want to talk about here? Um, coming out here pretty soon to visit your old man or he's going to go out there to, to see you, but, um, yeah. Let's, yeah. Go on here. Yeah. Got a whole house. Well, I remember how much fun it was. I don't remember. It's been a long time now, maybe like 10 years. You were still in school or in college. You came up from Nashville to Buffalo and I had gotten there a day early. I went out to the Cattaraugus Indian Reservation just across the creek, got the reservation license. And uh, we, I went out there first day um, for sale store on Cattaraugus Creek, which is one of the most productive steelhead rooms around. I, you know, the, the catch rate is something like one fish every 45 minutes or something, they say. I mean, that's under optimal conditions. Like after a rain, the river comes up, uh, the fish in Lake Erie sense that and they come up there to spawn. And once there's a spate, you want to get there right afterwards, just as it's starting to come down because the fish have made their move. And I hooked this giant steelhead. He was nine pounds. I mean, he fought like he was 20. Crazy. You said nine pounds? Yeah, it was nine pounds. 
That's a that's a massive that is a massive fish to begin with. Big old slab. Don't my cousin the twenty two inch rainbow I caught was barely two pounds. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean this fish was like twenty seven or twenty eight inches, but it's just yeah. so dense. In the lake, Barrel. they're in Lake Erie, and they're eating alewives and shad, and they're getting fat on bait fish. And you know, they, they're cannibals too, right? Yeah, they'll eat young. They're young. That's that's right. The um, there used to be they stock salmon in Lake Erie. Uh, there's still a few around in Lake Ontario and some of the others, but most of the populations in Lake Erie have been extirpated. Uh, they didn't spawn is basically what happened. So they stopped stalking. So uh, they didn't get any more, but those fish, those steelhead would follow the salmon up who spawned in the, in the spring and eat their eggs. And then in the fall, when the steelhead would come up and steelhead spawned basically all winter, even, you know, when the creeks are iced over, those salmon would follow them up to eat their eggs. It's just a very Darwinian world there. And those, those spawning runs, but I'm just fascinated That's, by the activity of those fish and, and how different it is. That's uh, you know, spring spate streams that get really cloudy and muddy and they're hard to fish, but the fish are in there. They're in there for sure. And there, there's a lot of them. And then, yeah, I'm, all we needed to do was just um, in the Caney, just hook a night crawler onto a, a nice worm hook and, put some light weight on it just literally just let it float down and if you didn't have a bite in a couple minutes and you just need to move your line over a little bit yeah we're using any spinners or wet flies or streamers or anything uh, yeah well i would love so i would love to use flies based on how many trout i saw literally jumping out of the water i mean that's exciting just to watch by itself let alone thinking about if what they were jumping at was something you had on the end of your line um, fly fishing out there, was, I'll probably get a nice little, um, one of those transportable fly rods, a shorter one that I can bring out and sort of, there's a couple of places, uh, you can, you can pull your kayak, kayak, kayak up on, um, and then wade out into the water, you know, six or seven feet and just and work, work, a, work a nice, uh, stretch of stream. Yeah. Super easy. There's tons of space and, you know, the boats that do come by just line back a little bit and then cast again when they're when they're going away or if you get out early enough nobody will be there just be you and the sun and the sun coming up yeah wow that sounds ideal the uh, other thing i was going to ask you about is you developed an app that uh, i felt had great promise um is there any progress on that have you just put it on the shelf for the time being are you uh, uh can well, you tell us about it yeah, it's on-demand cleaning, just essentially uh, streamlining, streamlining uh, household cleaning services by a la carte hour, hourly rate um, things you can pick from, whether it would be organization, you know, cleaning specific areas of your house or a whole house clean. I mean, right now, it's not, I wouldn't think of an ideal time to have people in your house. Well, it's a good time to get you know, the development going, to get, uh, you know, get it ready to stage and launch and do all the rest of that, all the, the, uh, back office, the back end work. Yeah. I've, I've actually, no, I, I would describe this some- as a Uber or Lyft for cleaners for cleaning services. Is that, that, yeah, accurate? I, that is accurate. And I have been doing some research on, um, Amazon well, web services, 
where doing some of the back end data building that stuff out myself, which is actually pretty cool because getting certified in that stuff would be um, ideal just in the long run. So I don't just have to have those skills. People. Yeah. Or to well, even was, know that uh, the people you hire are on task and not just feeding you a line. Exactly. So like they can, people can present you with a fancy um, user interface, but I, I mean, honestly, I didn't know what was going on behind there. So that's something that I'd want to be able to take control of myself. That's what I've been spending some of this quarantine time on, um, sort of growing my repertoire, you might say. So the idea would be, say, you had a big party, uh, and you're looking around, and you're going like, I need some help, and you could just go on this app, and whoever is a cleaner and around that area that could could sign on for it, and come in there and and bust it out or um i know nashville is a great test market because a lot of college students a lot of people who want that flexibility of a gig economy job and they could be doing all kinds of different things they could be lift drivers or they could have a, a day job and just want to pick up some money on the weekends or however it works it'd just be a flexible way for them to make some extra money by just uh, going in and cleaning out somebody's, uh, turning over somebody's Airbnb rental, for example, or, um, you know, the maid didn't show up. They just need a one-off to get some help or there's something extra or they realize, wait, for, you know, 30 bucks, I can get someone in here to get get this place squared away for an hour uh, before an event or something. It just seems like there there would be demand for that. It just seems like that would work. I guess the problem that I would, I would think is getting the scale quality. Yeah. Getting the quality cleaners. I think you can work on that quality control is measurable stuff that you can work on. To me, it would be getting the critical mass of cleaner set up so that when people do log into the app to, to get a cleaner that they uh, have options that there are people out there in that area, how, how you would fix that, how you'd figure that part out. A, a lot of it is like trying to determine um, what you can and what you cannot ask a 1099 independent contractor to do or what you can expect of them. Because, uh, I mean, it's right now with Uber and Lyft and any sort of gig economy uh, platforms, they're all, they're all having issues with... Um, you know, to maintain a standard, you have to demand a standard, and you can't demand that much of a standard from 1099 independent contractors. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't legally difficult. demand it because uh, there's like a 25-point or 26-point IRS yeah. checklist that you can get yourself in trouble if you're not careful about how exactly. how things are framed and uh, presented to to so then gig you got to find workarounds. you got to find workarounds with, like, are you going to take pictures of the pre and post job? Well, I mean, I'm not telling you how you cleaned it, but you're going to show me evidence that you did, um, like things like that. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's just uh, uh, a la carte services. So, you know, it's nothing, there's no commitment. There's no monthly membership. There's no minimum hours. There's no nothing. It's just uh, somebody's, if a cleaner's logged in on their end and, you know, they're sitting at home and they get in a request saying, hey, this, this, um, this client who uh, lives 30 minutes from you, I would like you to come out and clean their house for two hours. These are the things they're asking for. Would you like to accept? 
Simple as that. Yeah. They accept, they start, they head your way and then you pay a flat fee. And then, uh, the, uh, certain percentage goes to the cleaner, certain percentage goes to the platform to maintain everything needed to, you know, provide the services for the clients. Sounds like a great idea. So uh, the other thing I was going to ask you about is you are a much more avid, ardent uh, football fan than, than I am. I used to be, when I was your age, I was crazy about the Denver Broncos and the Bills, of course. That's my hometown team. I'm proud to say that you're a Bills fan as well, although it's a little tough. And uh, I'm excited about the Bills. They did uh, a very credible job in the playoffs. They should have won. They should have. They should have beat the Texans. I'm not sure what happened. I think Josh Allen. They have a very talented young quarterback who who is uh, really uh, liked by his teammates and by the fans in Buffalo. I think the pressure was too much for him. I don't think he's got the mental toughness quite yet that he started uh, spazzing out in the last few downs, uh, last few sets of downs in the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, Did get him in overtime, though. Very, very exciting game. Could have gone either way. But what was really um, impressive was how the Bills' defense kept him in the game. All the time, tough, tough defense. I would have to say um, the most valuable player for the Texans in that uh, playoff game was the referees. Honestly, uh, they're probably their star, their star player on that roster. You think the Bills um, were just getting uh, bad calls? Getting bad calls, um, just obvious, um, <laughs> saying that ba- the ball was not down at the at the line of scrimmage. Um, not first. I mean, it's then you kick them back to a fourth down when it should have been a first. Obviously, uh, people say you know it may not have made a big difference, but can't, who's to say that that next play wasn't going to be a touchdown or like well you know yeah. who knows what could have happened. But uh, honestly, I'd have to say Josh Allen is a, is a solid quarterback. I mean, look, he's progressed every year he's been under center, which is all you can ask from a young quarterback. Yeah, he's only he's still at twenty four or something, right? He just yeah. I mean, yeah, he's still at the very uh, beginning of his career. I mean, I don't even think Brady was a starter when he was 24, was he? He didn't. I've seen, and I've seen people say that Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than Josh Allen. Sam Darnold didn't suit up because he because he had uh, mono. So let's talk. About, let's talk about who if if a quarterback's your leader or capable or not. Uh, at least Josh Allen, you know, doesn't get the kiss the kissing virus and have to go sit on the bench. Well, you don't know exactly how bad it is. I mean, I hear people mock players for going out with a turf toe, like, oh, what a, you know, what a weakling. You're, you're getting paid all this money and you're going to be on the sidelines because you got turf toe. Well, turf toe is a tremendously painful, crippling um, illness. You try doing what they do without the use of your toe and the, and the shock of pain that's going to happen every time you flex it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe his mono was, was really, really bad. I'm just saying, keep, uh, you know, understand these guys have some, they've got some gumption or they wouldn't be there. So if they do go out, it's know. generally going to be something pretty serious. I don't know. Maybe he is just, I don't even know Sam Darnold. Who's he quarterback for? Exactly. <laughs> My point, exactly. <laughs> He's a quarterback for the New York Jets. 
Okay. Yeah, the Jets and the Bills are uh, like cross-state cross rivals. Yeah, the New Jersey Jets and the there New Jersey Giants. Because as every, every Buffalo Bills fan knows, there's only one NFL team in New York, and that happens to be the Bills. The, the Jets and the Giants play in the Meadowlands on the other side of the river in New Jersey. I mean, They're let's talk about truly New York fans or New. Stephon Diggs is a Buffalo Bill now. Uh, who's that? Stephon Diggs is one of. The, no, he's uh, he was a Minnesota Viking, one of the best receivers in the NFL. Oh yeah, he's got, we got some uh, downfield weapons. Is that what we got? Oh yeah, Stephon Diggs is one of the most explosive wide receivers in the entire NFL and we traded first round like Randy like Moss explosive um, just for reference in the past um, two seasons he's caught uh, 2150 2, yards uh, for 15 touchdowns in two seasons that's good so he's, he's averaged a little over a thousand yards a season the past two seasons um, and last year was only he only had uh, 63 receptions for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. That's so. That means his uh, average catch uh, yards per catch was almost 18 yards a catch. So you think about Josh Allen and his deep ball. We didn't have a guy that could utilize his deep ball. So when you plug in somebody who can actually burn burn defenders and get underneath a ball that's being thrown, you know, 50 yards in the air, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, that opens up the field, changes the way the the opposing defense has to structure their players and the plays they call. And, you know, it just adds another layer of anxiety to those uh, head coaches on the other side of the ball that they got to counter these threats, which then opens up maybe some uh, option plays or counter trays and some of those uh, line stunts that you can do to open up your running game. So, yeah, it makes a big, big difference. I mean, there, that was the number one criticism against the Bills last year, I think, was that their offense was too, kind of, you know, predictable. Well, think, think about Josh Allen throwing a deep ball to one of his receivers who doesn't necessarily have the speed to, to run the go route that's going to be successful. So he overthrows him, and in his mind, you know, he's used to having that burner in college, and he needs that burner to be able to be the quarterback that he is. Um, so then you got he mentally has to adjust to that, and then, you know, you see a ball underthrown. Okay, but that's because he's got receivers that can't keep up with him, and all of a sudden he's got to take a step back and, you know, change his game on the fly. Now you, you give him a guy who's going to get underneath that ball. Um, he can just throw it up in the air, and Stephon Diggs is going to run it down. So that's what we needed. Yeah. How's the defense looking? Are they keeping their core together and uh, keep building on their great success last year? I mean, every time I got to see him play, which frankly wasn't that much, I was really just uh, impressed by, by their game calling, their athleticism, their uh, ability to, to shut down the plays, the tough third third and short type of plays, then I just thought they had a great defense, and I yeah. would hate to see them lose that. The Bills have been known for their defense, uh, you know, for a long time, but they have never been able to really break through getting all the elements together. But I feel like this is getting closer. I mean, anything can happen on any given Sunday, but over time, I think a team with that much talent is going to grind them down. 
And especially now that the uh, Patriots look to be in a rebuilding year, I wouldn't put it past Bill Belichick to put together some surprises uh, in his strategies and and eke out some some tough wins uh, going forward. But uh, I feel like this is we're, the Bills' year. A, this is the Bills' bit. year to win the division and uh, AFC. And uh, let's just say it: the Super Bowl. We expect a Super Bowl win. We're zero and four. No team has ever gone to the Super Bowl four years in a row. Well, th- think about the Bills' record last year. Right, ten. I believe it was ten wins, six losses. Um, they all of a sudden now don't have to face, well, they didn't have to face Gronk previously, but he is in the NFL again, but we, he's not in the AFC East anymore. Neither is Tom Brady. So now you, you're playing a team twice a year who we normally get stomped by, and that could be a potential, even if you split with them, one and one, and that's an extra yeah, win. Yeah, it's 11 which and five, could be which a, is enough for the you know, AFC East division title. Yeah. Then you get a home field advantage when you, when you take the AFC East. Yeah. And like, just little little things like that, and then you got a young quarterback and a defense that's only gotten stronger with a second round pick of AJ uh, Epinat. I can't pronounce his last name Epineza, uh, but he's a, a defensive end from Iowa who's just a power bull rush defensive end who's going to just demolish demolish everybody who gets in front of him. That's what we needed. We got young linebackers like Tremaine Edwards who has been in the league now, I think, going on three years, and he's only 20, 23 years old. He got drafted by the Buffalo Bills when he was 20, and he's one of the league's premier linebackers. So, like, what what else can you expect or what else can you ask for from a Buffalo Bills team that has been so mediocre for so long? Now they're finally putting it together. Yeah, it's exciting and long overdue. That was the longest playoff drought in the NFL. Um, and so uh, close. I mean, they should have won that game. I feel like their defense won that game. Uh, the refs gave it away, and it just, it just, just, uh, it's demoralizing for players when the when the refs get in the game. You shouldn't even know they're there, and they just made some calls that just put the Bills back on their heels. Like, uh, I know how that happens. It's not like they're going out, you know, deliberately to make things bad. It's just the, you know concatenation of circumstances they nudge the ball one way or the other and it makes all the difference in the world but yeah it's gonna be exciting i'm excited for the bills hopefully they will resume uh maybe the first few weeks you know they're gonna have to play with empty stadiums it's gonna be different i mean one of these years we keep saying it's gonna be buffalo buffalo bills year we're gonna be right I, i promise you yeah, I mean, the Chicago Cubs only had to wait uh, 90 years or whatever to get their World Series title. Yeah, you'll what be an it? android. You'll be an android by the time the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I already am part android. I feel like it's just uh, you got your iPhones. You're sort of an android. It's just kind Apple of like Watt. plugged in. Yeah, we're we're there already. I think uh, Elon Musk has uh, got that neural jack. Probably a lot further along than he's letting people know. Oh, oh, pretty soon we're just going to be plugged into the grid. Just know your location at all times and what you're. Oh, they know. I mean, imagine uh, 30 years ago, somebody had said, "Not only are we going to plant a tracking device on you, 
you aren't going to want to leave the house without it. <laughs> That's true. It's very and if, true. if you do leave the house without it, you're going back to your house to make sure you get it. Yes. How dare you let the phone companies or the government not know exactly where you are at all times. Hey, if they, if they really want to know what I'm doing in my own personal time, uh, Lord have mercy on them. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be bored as hell if they were tracking me. Yeah. So um, anything else going on you want to talk about? Let's go back to the COVID-19 because I feel like um, you should get an antibody test just so you know that you have it. And based on what you're telling me with a kind of severity, you probably did have a strong antibody response and you're probably good to go now. You probably don't even have to worry about it. And Uh, wouldn't you want to get that test just so you know that you can relax a little and in over 35 days i don't think it'd be necessarily in my system anymore if no it wouldn't be in your system but the antibodies that uh that came from uh, being exposed to it they'll always be there i mean they'd be there for many many years just like you know when you get a vaccine that it's gonna last for measles or mumps or whatever that'll last for most of your life i mean sometimes you need to get boosters but You've been exp- you've had the equivalent of the vaccine by getting the illness, and most vaccines, you know, are attenuated viruses. Yeah. It's like they take that virus and they, uh, they put just give you enough, a, so you won't just get enough. Sick. yeah, and then your body can build an immune response to it. I don't know if the sw- if the nasal swabs are are does that no, you don't need to do that. That's to detect the virus. That's not for the antibody test. I think oh. they just draw some blood or something. I don't know. I probably should know. Oh, yeah. But I've I got was, a vial of blood. I'll just give to them. I got one on, on hand right now. It's perfect. Uh, you like doing a blood boy for some billionaire or something? You never know when you need a vial of blood. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was talking to Dr. Marty Pops, who's a friend of mine. He was the head of admissions at UCLA. So he knows pretty much all the top doctors. And he's... Uh, cautiously optimistic that they will come up with a vaccine that includes like this root section of the RNA genetic material, not the DNA, but the RNA of the COVID-19, which will give you preventative prophylactic effect on both flus like the H1N1, the swine flu, and these bird flus that come around and the cold, you know, there's several dozen coronaviruses. This COVID-19 is the one that's we're all scared about because it's so much more severe than the other ones. But that's exciting. Imagine having a vaccine that's going to take care of the flu and the cold. I would, I would be on that right away. I'd take that. Yeah, I take my flu vaccine every year, and I haven't gotten a flu in the times... Uh, that I didn't, you know, I haven't taken it every year, but as I get older, I'm much more conscientious about it. And, uh, you know, I, I get the seasonal flu and it's usually quite bad and I'm self-employed. So I need to, you know, stay fit and healthy just to keep the business going. I can't typically afford to, you know, lay in bed for three or four days and be miserable. But did you know that, you know, the pandemic of 1918, which was, was scary. Yes, that is the swine flu that is still around. That 
has morphed or mutated into the uh, seasonal flu. It's basically evolved from that deadly flu that was taken out people 20 to 30 years old. COVID-19 has taken out, you know, older people, but that original swine flu was taken out people in the, the prime of their life. It's, uh, I mean, that's kind of what I was harking back to earlier that I, I could absolutely see. I mean, it's not a traditional flu where you just get in the fever. It's most of the respiratory things you have to be concerned about. So like if you have any, any sort of breathing issue whatsoever and you do, you know, get it and you do have the symptoms and you are fighting it, um, that's when I would be worried because if I personally had that many issues and I don't smoke and I don't, you know, I don't drink and I get my sleep and I eat well and exercise. And if you don't do any of those things and you do catch it, I don't, I don't see how it would end well. Because of your experience, you feel like as bad as it was for you and at your level of fitness that for somebody who didn't have that level of fitness, it wouldn't go well. Is that how, how you feel? I struggled. I mean, it was rough. It was, I didn't know if it was going to stop. I didn't know if it was going to get worse. Um, I mean, I was debilitated. I couldn't, I couldn't, I could barely walk. I could barely walk a, a few blocks, let alone go run a couple miles like I would like to do. Wow. Well, that's good that, uh, I'm glad you got out the other side. Yeah. Uh, sure. The uncertainty was the worst part because nobody really knew like what, what to expect or what was going to happen. Absolutely. That's the worst part is the uncertainty. That's why I feel like, uh, a vigorous Who knows national lasting uh, effects. Yeah, vigorous. Yeah, that's right. You don't know. Like thirty years from now, it may give you some kind of like, lung some, lung issues or what something. What if you have some like immunodeficiency to some other virus or something that like you who even knows how your how your DNA has been affected once you contract it? Yeah, hopefully all things will come out in, in the future, and we'll just have to yeah. deal with. It. I think we're just going to have to deal with it. But in any event, Andy, it's been wonderful talking to you, and I'll try to get this uh, podcast posted up. Probably not right away because I just posted uh, episode 13, but uh, this is episode 14, and we'll uh, talk again. I think you could, you can. there's a lot of issues going on that uh, I'd like to get your take on, and I think uh, our listeners would enjoy that as well. Sure. I'd love to be back on. Love talking to you. And I, I get it from you. I love to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, son. I love you and we'll talk soon. Right. Love you too. All right. Just thinking out loud. I've got a lot of libertarian friends who bridle at the stay at home order at the idea of having to wear masks in public and not being able to gather in groups. This is the saddest sign of the age in which we live, that something so common sense as public health measures have become politicized. They feel it impinges on their freedom, and they're right. The very idea of a social compact means that your freedom to do what you want does not outrank the freedom of others to avoid a pandemic. As Thomas Jefferson put it so bluntly, yet eloquently, you can do whatever you want, so long as it doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg. With COVID-19, people who fail to comply with public health orders are doing both. 
costing us money and endangering our health. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.